How would it feel to be immortal? To outlive everyone you've ever loved? Third Flatiron welcomes back Brian Trent with an affecting new story about one man's journey through the tunnels of time. Brian recently won the Reader's Choice Award at DragonCon for his military SF story, Crash Site. His stories have been published in several Third Flatiron anthologies, as well as in the magazine of fantasy and science fiction and podcasts at Escape Pod. He has a new novel out, 10,000 Thunders, from Flame Tree Publishing. Discover more of Brian's work on his author website at briantrent.com. And now, here's Tunnels, read by the author. Tunnels by Brian Trent I witnessed a carriage run down an old man in Vienna, 1809. It was during Napoleon's shelling of the city that spring. The man had been crossing a street when thunderous French howitzers startled a carriage's horses, and the animals bolted. The old man was struck, trampled, one heavy carriage wheel snapping his right leg as cleanly as a broomstick over a knee. I pulled him to safety, the Viennese crowds scattering amid the artillery's thunder. The man was around eighty years old, bearded and balding, with liver-spotted hands as frail as bundled twigs. I was four hundred and sixteen, despite an outward appearance of a lean, chestnut-haired forty. I crafted a makeshift splint for him right there, amid the bombardment, poured a flask of whiskey down his throat for the pain, gazed into his watery blue eyes. You will live, I assured him. His lips quivered in his white beard. Please, please. I swaddled him in my woolen coat. Your leg is broken, but you will live. I have, um, medical training. Where am I? How did I get here? Please, I can't remember. You're in Vienna. Tears spilled down his cheeks. I can't remember who I am. He had banged his head on the cobblestones, after all. For almost an hour, he could recall neither his name nor residence. It was only later, as I bore him to the shelter of my wine cellar, the French would later sack every last bottle during the occupation, and fed him soup spiked with anti-inflammatory paste. I'd learned to make it from my little rooftop garden in the Repubblica di Venezia in the 16th century, learning from a not entirely useless bird-masked doctor that his memory returned. See, I told the old man, you will be all right. I can't remember his name now. What I do remember are his blue eyes filling with terror as he failed to recall his name in history. It happens to the elderly, you see. It happens to me. When I awake in darkness, unsure of my surroundings, unsure of what language to cry out in over the booming howitzers as... The explosion reverberates in my skull, making me wonder if my teeth have shaken loose like bullets from a bandolier. The blackness is absolute. My wine cellar's candles must have burned out. In the distance, Napoleon's siege is a relentless thunderstorm. Blindly, I reach for the old man. My fingers touch the cold, stiff arm of a corpse. 
someone whispers, Anthony, are you still alive, mate? I freeze, realizing that I'm not at home in Vienna. The unknown voice speaks again in crisp King's English. Anthony, the tunnel collapsed. Bloody Huns were buried alive beneath the Somme. I don't know who the man is talking to. Don't know who Anthony is. It certainly isn't me. My name is Niccolo di Venezia, born in 1421 and as ageless as Italian marble. Then the smell of the tunnel hits me, the pungent whiff of wet clay and loosened bowels. Memory crawls warily back to me. My name is Anthony now. Every sixty years or so it's necessary to change up locations and identities. I'm now Anthony Owens of Mining Company 233 from Hammersmith, England. The year is 1917. But this isn't England, I mutter, listening to the pounding artillery. We are certainly not in bloody England! A light kindles, the burning dot of a cigarette hanging from stubbly lips. I see the man, and recall that he is Reginald Shaw, first rank of Mining Company 233. You must have knocked your head something awful, mate. Must have, I whisper. Mining Company 233 is my company, I remember, built up with many lifetimes of collected wealth. I have been requisitioned by King and Country to help break the stalemate with Germany at the Somme. For two years, my men and I have been digging tunnels beneath a rotting battlefield festooned with barbed wire and pockmarked by bomb craters. And Reginald Shaw? He's my friend, my best friend for twenty years now. What happened to our tunnel? I ask. Reginald puffs on his smoke. Apparently, the Germans had a tunnel of their own, dug beneath us like maggots, lit a few sticks of dynamite. Our whole company is dead or buried alive like us. Then we'll dig our way out. I paw around the gloom for my spade. Co-workers lie dead around us. My fingers close around my shovel's wooden handle. Legs are broken, mate. Then I shall dig. I smile at him. My friend chuckles. You must have gotten yourself a real knock on your noggin. You were speaking in tongues. Sounded like some queer dialect of Italian. I tear at the collapsed tunnel with my spade. For several minutes, I shovel earth and clay, until Reginald touches my shoulder. Afraid we'll run out of air long before you succeed. He reaches into a pocket, hands me an envelope. I want you to do me a favor. Bring this letter to my wife and little girl if you manage to get out. We're getting out together. There isn't air for both of us. There is, I insist, though I realize my friend is correct. The tunnel air has a flat, thin quality. In an hour, maybe two, will be two more corpses in this hellish pocket of Stygia. My friend smiles, cigarette glowing dully. I have greatly cherished our friendship. Wait, Reginald, please don't. And before I can stop him, he pulls his service pistol, presses it to his head, and... I'm not a vampire, I tell the woman in my Mexico City apartment, 1973. The floor crawls with snakes, and the window droops like candle wax. Led Zeppelin's The Song Remains the Same wafts from the stereo's cloth-covered speakers. The woman, her name is Honoria, I remember, 
squints at me from where she sprawled on the linoleum. Not a vampire, but you said you're 500 years old. Had I told her that? My head is foggy with the mushrooms I've ingested. Old instinct grips me, a fear of being discovered. Admitting to immortality would have gotten me burned in Europe not so long ago. My gaze drifts from the snakes that aren't there to the drooping window. The frame is festooned with skulls for El Dia de los Muertos, their jaws hanging open in silent laughter. In the street below, firecrackers pop and shriek. Honoria prods me playfully with one bare foot. I've always liked older men, mi vida. I turn to her, cradling her foot, rubbing the sole. I really am 500 years old. Feels good to finally admit it to someone. She considers my apartment, swaying to the music and shrooms we've taken. Your decor does have the look I'd expect from a vampire. I'm not a vampire, I repeat. You've seen me in the sun and chowing down garlic. But I follow her gaze to the oil paintings, books, crates, statues, a lifetime of collected detritus brought with me, as if I'm a hermit crab, falling around past residences. Honoria gives me a sly look. Then how else could you be 500 years old? I don't know. What? I shrug. I grew up in the Venetian Republic. Grew naturally as far as that goes, taking the normal time to sprout from toddler to 30-something. But that was around when my aging just... stopped. Honoria looks thoughtful. Have you ever heard of progeria? Yes. Maybe you've got the opposite condition. Instead of aging rapidly, your cells age at a snail's pace. Or maybe some genetic quirk keeps them forever youthful. There are tortoises that live centuries, trees that last millennia. That's as good a theory as I've ever heard. They keep growing new sets of teeth, after all. I don't suppose you could spare a little immortality for me. For you? I ask, surprised. I'm dying, remember? Oh. Then it hits me. She's already told me she's dying. That, coupled with the psilocybin, apparently convinced me to let my guard down and unload my secret. In a few months, she won't be alive to tell anyone. Even if she was the type to break promises, and she's not, she's sweet and trustworthy and smart and wonderful. Who would believe her? Oh, Honoria echoes coldly. I guess you really are, ancient. Seeing so many people die that at what's one more funeral, right? My cheeks grow hot with shame. That's not what I meant. I just... You forgot how to feel. Her words stay me. She lights a cigarette, and for a moment I'm reminded of Reggie in the Great War's trenches. Zeppelin fades from the stereo to be replaced by the escapades of Ziggy Stardust and the spiders from Mars. When I was a kid, Honoria says, I thought summer vacations lasted a whole year. When my pet goldfish died, I grieved for weeks. But then I grew up. Summer vacations vanished in a puff of calendars, and the sight of a dead animal has no effect on me. If I was 500 years old, I guess my emotions would be all worn out, like old leather. I still have feelings, I insist. It's okay, Wallace. Is that the name I'm using now? I crawled drunkenly towards her, wrapping her in my embrace. This dying woman, 
this beautiful woman who, who I, I love you, I say. Honoria curls against my chest, touches my face. That Italianate jaw, the Mediterranean brow and complexion. You're a beautiful man, yet you must be so sad. Generations bloom and die around you, but you go on, the eternal gardener. She falls asleep in my arms. We marry a week later, November of 1973. She dies in my arms on Christmas Day. The tunnel. I'm back in the tunnel of 1917, I think, and I'm wearing a gas mask, too. German chemical attacks must have seeped into the earth. I look around for Reggie, but instead I find that I'm alone, dizzy, and oddly weak and the tunnel has mint-green flares peppering its uneven terrain. Flares? We used lamps in the tunnels of the Somme. I wouldn't see my first flare for fifty years. I must still be in Mexico hallucinating, because my head feels fuzzy, my body as airy as a mylar balloon. But then why am I wearing a gas mask? I lift my hand to the contraption and stare, astonished at the sight of bulky gloves over my fingers. I try touching my mouth and encounter a fishbowl helmet over my entire head. Pale words appear suddenly across the glass. Oxygen levels stabilized. Suit breach repaired. A woman's voice sounds at my ear. Hey, you still there? Just follow the flares, okay? Please, they'll lead you right to us. I'm not certain who is speaking. Don't know why flares are littering the ground. But old instinct impels me forward. Follow the flares, okay. I'll do that. Until I can remember how the hell I ended up in this lava tube on Mars. Mars! I round a bend in the tunnel and see the flares end at a gathering of three people. One woman and two men. They're wearing pale life-support suits, smeared with rust-hued Martian dust. One of them has a badly broken leg. I can tell at a glance. The woman perks up as I approach. Hey, you're a lifesaver. I blink, trying to conjure further memory. A stretch of lonely days in my underground habitat is all I can recall. Reading in the gloom, growing food by artificial light, the eternal gardener, eternally alone. My name is Tina, the woman says. We're in bad shape. You're not supposed to be here, I mutter. No one comes out this far into the desert. How? Why are you? Goddamn dust storm, she shakes her head. We were flying over Cydonia when her engine stalled. Came down hard. We've got to be a hundred miles from the colony. It's just sheer luck that you were out here to hear our SOS. I set to work examining her companions. They're a shell-shocked, rattled bunch. The man with the broken leg has it the worst, his pained expression drenched in sweat. I work at fashioning a splint from the materials in my bag. Tina watches me curiously. How is it that you're way out here? This is supposed to be uninhabited. No man's land. Her questions hang in the air while I work. Memories scamper like nervous critters. I recall tedious months aboard the veritable sardine can they called a colony ship. Planetfall. Life in a Martian colony. People I care about aging and dying while I go on. The song remains the same. Tina chuckles. Actually, I might know who you are. I'll bet you don't, I think. You're the old man. 
I'm what? Before I was born, so the stories go, some colonist ventured off into the red deserts to go Walden, seeking solitude. The old man. She laughed softly. I thought he was a myth. I shake my head, focusing on treating the lacerations of the next man. In 15th century Italian, old man translates as il vecchio, which is also a masked archetypal character in ancient Venetian commedia theater. Why do you live out here by yourself? Tina asks. Why leave the colonies? I was tired of seeing the people I love die, I mutter. And I know you're going to tell me that everyone dies. Been listening to that little piece of fortune cookie wisdom for a long time. Tina raises an eyebrow. I wasn't going to say that. Nobody says that anymore. No? Um, how long have you been out here? It's a good question. I think back to my application to the Colonization Board, 2036. My acceptance to be among the eager first wave of Martian colonists. But life in the colonies had been the same commedia play I had always experienced. The grim contest for survival. The friendships ending with a sweep of the reaper's scythe. I've always been a stranger amid my own species. The genetic outlier. The immortal birthed among peers who begin to die the moment they are born. And so as the colony grew, I broke away. Ventured into the desert, seeking neither visions nor enlightenment, but safety from future heartbreaks. I've been out here a long while, I say at last. Apparently so. Tina gives me an up-and-down look, noticing my patchwork life support suit. When's the last time you even accessed the web? I shrug and stand. I've stabilized your friends best I can. I'm happy to share my food with you while you wait for evac. I have a respectable garden. My own secret garden. Not on the rooftops of Venezia, but in below-ground lava tubes. Tina peers up at me, an impish gleam in her eyes. What's your name? Apparently it's the old man. No. Tell me your real name. Nicolo, I say automatically, briefly wondering if that's the name I've been using and then realizing it doesn't matter. I always like the musicality of my birth name. After five centuries in another planet, I'm happy to return to it, like visiting an old friend who, like me, doesn't age. I like that, Tina says, and her smile, to my surprise, lifts my heart. It fits you especially since you really don't look like an old man. Looks can be deceiving. Darkness again, and I sweat at the terror of it. My entire life has been punctuated by these moments of waking up blind and uncertain as to what I'll find, not knowing what strangers will be around me, what language they'll be speaking. In the midst of my panic, someone touches my hand. It reminds me of Tina's first touch in a Martian lava tube, and for a moment... The agony of this non-stop flight through time makes me want to scream. I remember Tina, who I helped return to the colonies, and who convinced me to stay. The woman who I fell in love with and married, despite knowing how this was going to end as all things for me end. Every blink of my eyes takes away the things I love. Dizzy, feeling sick and disoriented, I summon the courage to look at whoever is touching me. And it's Tina. Her face is awash in the swampy colors of three alien moons hanging low in the sky. But in that instant, I can only think of our life together. Our marriage in the foothills of Olympus Mons. Our first child. Our second child. Our burgeoning family. 
the night of excitement as we gathered around the news hollow to hear about the discovery of faster-than-light travel, courtesy of scientists creating large and stable wormhole tunnels, and our eventual decision to take the exploratory leap, stepping through a portal on Mars to reach this newest beachhead of humanity. Wife, I mutter. She smiles. Husband. And the knowledge fills me. The realization that we've been married for 80 years, and we might well be married for 800. This is not Venice of the 15th century, or Austria of the 19th, or Mexico of the 20th, or Mars of the 21st. This is what we call the modern world, in which technology has finally caught up to... to... me. Humans don't age anymore. Telomeres remain fixed and unchanging, cell division, an ever-youthful and cancerless progression. Aging to death has been banished as surely as bubonic plague and smallpox and dust lung have faded into the lockboxes of yesteryear. Tina steps from the teleport gate and giggles, seeing the alien moons in the lighted, newly-built tram station ahead of us. It's beautiful, isn't it? You are, I reply. There on the teleport platform she presses against my chest as our children look on grinning. Other colonists appear in gusts of air, the scent of Mars evaporating into the new aromas of a new world. Clutching me tightly, her breath warm against my neck, she murmurs, Hold me forever, sweetheart. Thanks for listening to this podcast from thirdflatiron.com. Original music by Disco Volante. Sound production was by Andrew Cairns.